Welcome to Crypto Talk Radio, the podcast for everyday investors like you. Visit us on the web at CryptoTalkRadio.net. And now, here's your host, Leister. Thank you for that, Bailey, and welcome everybody out there in Crypto Talk Radio found at CryptoTalkRadio.net. Welcome. Thank you for coming or thank you for coming back. I'm not sure your situation. I thank you either way. Leister is my name and I am the host of Crypto Talk Radio found at CryptoTalkRadio.net. And today, we're going to be talking about a variety of different things because there's a lot going on. And I think I want to blend it up with some other non-crypto information because it's the only way to really wrap your head around what's happening. I know some may be chomping at the bit to hear about the current goings on in cryptocurrency, and I will talk about them. But I think it's important you understand there's more to it, I believe, in my opinion, than just straight cryptocurrency sentiment. Sentiment is playing a factor in some, but I think there's other factors at play. And I'm going to be talking about those because I do think that there's value in discussing the topic at a little bit of length. Just a quick personal, nothing too fancy update because I want to keep you in the loop about what's going on. I have feelers out to find the second endeavor. And the point is simply to shore up the business. You know, I want a little bit more. I was in conversations with one. They said they agreed to all my terms, but then they started saying, well, our client wants this, 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 which I'm not going to do because it's not something they would subject their plumber to. So I'm like, screw you, bro. Effectively. When your client gets a clue, you call me back and we can make a deal because it would have been really good money, but I'm not going to agree to, you know, nonsense terms. So that was that. The second part that's that's spinning personal. It started snowing a little while ago. I talked about it. We got a little bit of melt off. It got a little bit warmer. Then we got more snow and it came down pretty dang good. So they've been out. You may hear occasionally. I have a better microphone, so I think it should be suppressed. But you may hear the occasional snow plower out there because they're having to replow all these areas, which I was expecting that we were finally done with it all. and Apparently not. And it's pretty dangerous out there. I drove down to get a sandwich and it was icy, slushy. There was a car, real wheel drive car. He was having a hard time getting around with his business and that that's normal. It's not hilly. It's not like mountainous. You know, we have a little bit of hill, but it's not mountainous type hill. It's so it's drivable, but they don't, they do a crap job of, of plowing. They don't lay down brine. They don't do the normal treatments until it stops snowing. So if it's in the middle of the snow, they won't do anything, which is counterintuitive in my personal opinion. I had to move the second car because they needed to plow all the spots. I moved the second car and then thinking, okay, it's going to melt off. We're going to have it back normal and I can get whatever starts snowing again. And the reason this is kind of flustering for me is I need, I still have to do DMV crap with the cars, both cars. I have to swap my license. I got to swap my registration on one of them all the DMV stuff. And then there's a a different matter I got to deal with. And then I've got shopping to deal with and all this that's being disrupted by this crap. And so it's, it's, it's not frustrating. It's just annoying. I guess I should say the only saving grace is games, you know, some great games. If you're a role-playing gamer that are coming out really soon, persona three reload persona three is in my top 10 all time of games. Screw persona four crap. Screw persona five. Absolute crap. Persona five strikers is great, but the regular game is crap. But P3, fantastic. They screwed up the music, so I'm going to have to look for a mod to fix that, but still looking forward to it. Uh, The new Final Fantasy VII, I have to see how much they butchered it. I'm not going to buy it. I'm just going to watch some footage, see how much they butchered it, decide whether to buy it on PC when that comes out. Uh, Grand Blue Fantasy Relink, I'm really excited to that one. So 
I got stuff on deck that'll keep me from being pissed off. And I thought I'd share that this snow is really getting on my nerves and I want it to go away and it's not going away fast enough. And I don't know what's going to take before we get a little bit of warmth. I'm cool with the snow myself. It's just, there's stuff I need to do in this area. They don't believe in actually plowing and taking care of the streets to where I can get to places safely. That's all. It's not the snow. I'm cool with the snow, but that's assuming the city knows what they're doing. We got a lot to talk about here. Let's go ahead and dig into our topics. And again, it's going to be a blend of a bunch of stuff today. And I will be talking cryptocurrency, what's going on. All right, let's go ahead and get into some numbers real quick. And I am going to start, I'm going to start, I'm going to actually talk about both. I think it's worth talking about both. Let's start with Ethereum though, because Ethereum, I think got the, got the better of it. Coindesk.com and I zoom out to the month chart. And if I'm looking at Ethereum, it's still a positive sentiment. That's why I said, I don't think sentiment is the total reason we're seeing what we're seeing. It's still a positive sentiment, but it took a dump. Went down from a high of about 26 down to, as we record this, to about 22. And you're like, whoa, it, it, it dumped. It dumped a lot <laughs> ever so recently. Currently at 22.3, a low of 21.6, a high of 23.5-ish. So not a lot of volatility, just it's trending downward. It's headed on the downward direction on a spiral downward where people are estimating somewhere around the 2000 range. You might be thinking that's extreme. I agree that it's extreme, but that's what the charts seem to be indicating is that it's headed on a significant decline from where we thought we were going, especially on the Ethereum side. But Bitcoin certainly got the worst of it. Bitcoin does not have the same strong sentiment that Ethereum does by far and away. When looking at Bitcoin, it had the same dump, but Bitcoin's dump is more of a, I would say, strong downward. As in, when you look at it, it doesn't even look like it's going to recover in the near term. Like Ethereum looks like it's just a, Temporary blip and it's going to come right back up. But Bitcoin looks like it's going to keep on going down. It was as high as 47,000. I want to remind you, and that was just about a week and a half ago ish. Now down to about 39.8. You're like, it's, it's a big dip on the Bitcoin side. And again, what also was happening is the ETFs and the buy the rumor sell the news that people suspect was part to play in the drop of the Bitcoins and Bitcoin ETFs, but they're all connected. Where one was going to drop, the other was going to drop. Bitcoin currently at 39.8, a low of 38.5, a high of 40,000, way lower than where we were headed. Now, people expected that we were going to be around 49,000, 50,000, 51,000 upon the release of the Bitcoin ETFs. I had somebody on Twitter X that was saying, and apparently they're new to trading because they were just following what people told them, uh, YouTuber influencers that said, you know, when the ETF comes out, we're going to go to the moon. Do, do, do. He straight said that, that it's down. It's been down. It's 15% down and just going down. What the hell is going on here? People were telling me it's going to go to the moon. What's wrong? And I had to interject and just clarify, and I will share this for everybody listening to me here. You have to understand the nature of influence. And I mean, in general, the nature of influence is the desire and the intent to influence your thought process, to agree with the person that's sharing it. Now they'll caveat what they say, you know, this is not, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not telling you what's true, da, da, da. but generally speaking, an influencer, their sole purpose in being is to try to influence your thought into agreeing to what they are sharing. They may not even believe it themselves. We saw that with Squid Game, right? We saw that with Ethereum Max and so on, where there's a message put towards you in your direction that they don't believe themselves. They're just doing it 
because they need to get more money in. When you understand that cryptocurrency ultimately is taking money that's put in and allowing somebody to sell out, just like with stocks, just like with bonds, just like with ETFs, just like with shares, everything works the same. They need money, new money flowing in so that other people can sell out. It's just cyclical this way. That's what influencers are largely doing. Now that may be for them themselves, their own benefit, or it could be that they were compensated by somebody else to do it. Or it could simply be that they're paid to generate some, some hype, right? They didn't tell you to get in it, but they're just awareness, hype, hey, this is common, da, 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 without specifically telling you to get into something. And I think with this gentleman that referred to the Bitcoin ETF, he was hearing the same message I happened to see in numerous outlets, which was that once the Bitcoin ETF came out, everything was going to go on a run. Since Q4 of last year, I've been pretty, and even Q3, I've been largely consistent that I thought we were going to have some volatility. It was going to take a while before we see the run. We're not really at a bull run. We hadn't been at a bull run, but it was fair to say bull market because as I just indicated, especially with Ethereum, certainly there is that desire to buy. The desire to buy is there, but you also have to consider an additional metric that I've increasingly been calling out as of recent, which is of course the total market cap across cryptocurrency. Because when you look at total market cap across cryptocurrency, it's currently down at $1.57 trillion. It went up recently to a high of $1.72 trillion. So we lost a significant amount of money in the total market cap of cryptocurrency. This is actual money flowing out of it. So it's not fair to say that we were going to be on a bull run at this point, because we saw that same volatility. We've been seeing the same volatility for months. It's not like anything unusual. It's just that getting to the 1.72 was significant progress. But as I said before, I didn't feel like we were going to be on a bull run until we hit about $2 trillion on the market cap, the total market cap, because that seemed to indicate based on past charts, roughly about the point that we were going up. So until we get there, I already knew it was going to be a rough ride. And I said, we're going to see some self-pressure. People want to get out. People try to crypto. People that were broke. People were affected by the pandemic and they're trying to get some money back from whatever it was. Lost jobs, whatever. There's all sorts of disruptive events that might cause people to want to sell now. For some, especially some listening here now, they might think it's crazy to sell now because the thing's going to go crazy at some point. Sure. But that's, that's wishful thinking. Not saying it's wrong. It's wishful thinking to expect that something's going to keep on going up with no sell pressure. Sell pressure is natural. Sell pressure is normal because if you don't have people selling, you can't entice certain people who are waiting for a discount, which brings me to my second point before I get to news. With people online, and this one in particular, I did respond and I shared this as well. And I'll, I've said this on multiple uh, podcast episodes at CryptoTalkRadio.net, but it's like, consider why is it that people freak out? Why is it people get upset, paranoid, frustrated, angry when things go to red? When you are shopping, whether it's shopping for games, like I was talking about video games, I'm paying full price for this stuff simply because it's brand new. Now, it may be like a P3 reload. I am paying full price. It's worth doing. It's a game I like. I've seen who's doing the new voice acting. I, I, look, I see the quality. And I want to support them and send the message that I like what I see. This is what I want from games. Not crap like Final Fantasy 16, a.k.a. Game of Final Thrones. I want to see quality games like this come out. So I speak with my wallet and share that message. Grand Blue, I'm likely going to pay full price. I need to see a little bit more footage of towns and things, but I'm likely going to pay full price for it. 
let's get it, let's get it cracking, right? Other games, I'm actively looking for a discount because I look at it and I see this game is just crap. Tokyo Xanadu EX, great example. I can tell it's crap. It should be good. There's no voice acting, English voice acting. So I can already tell it's not going to be not going to work for me, brother. And so I'm not going to give them full price, but I do buy games. I buy a lot of games. I just bought like seven different games from steam, but they were all on discounts, steep discounts. You're talking nine bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks. Right? So it's in our nature when you are shopping to look for discounts on things. I question then people listening. Why is it you don't apply that same message? to shopping for cryptocurrency. I know why it's because you're essentially investing money and you don't want your money to go down and you don't want to see it drop. And it's, it's a psychological trick though, because at the end of the day, you are shopping, you're buying something, you're buying a product. When you buy a product, normally that's not cryptocurrency. You're looking for a discount. If this were stock, you would look for stocks. I would hope that are trending lower. And I, I'll, I'll give you a message. This Bitcoin ETF, right? I had bought some Bitcoin ETFs, Fidelity Bitcoin ETF, because it that one looks like it has the smoothest, cleanest, most predictable graph to me. I I enjoy what I see. I was all, all too happy to toss some money in that bad boy. Doop, doop, doop. So I did buy some Fidelity uh, Fidelity Wise, the Bitcoin ETF, and just stacked it. You know, I stacked a little bit more, stacked a little bit more to create a an average position, and I'm satisfied with my average position. It's starting to recover some of the losses that it had, but I did put in an order a buy order for a little bit lower because I was hoping it would go down to about the $30 mark. Right now, as I recorded, it's about $34 in the after hours. So I expect it's going to spike up to about $35. If it does go back down tomorrow, hopefully my order gets filled at 30 and then I'll have a nice even number of shares that I was targeting. And then I did buy into the iShares or tried to I put an open order in for the iShares because I wanted to have a little bit of diversity within the two Bitcoin ETFs. I didn't want to do the other ones because they seem too volatile, but these two seem to be pretty smooth, predictable. And I bought into those, but I was looking for discounts. I was waiting for the damn thing to go down. I wanted those to get the lowest price possible to buy in. I wasn't looking at it as, well, the price is going down, so something's wrong. I was looking at it as, we know this stuff's going to go up to the moon deep, deep, deep at some point, And I want to have as much as I can before that happens. This was psychological for me. That's something I had to learn and I learned it over time and it took patience and time and studying and seeing that at some point something goes, it's going to go. It just depends on what it is. As long as it's not crap, right? If it's a garbage, like a Satama or something, we know that those they're beyond hope because of all this garbage that's behind it, whether it's, you know, Coke binges over here or, you know, bad devs or trigger devs, whatever communities. But when you have something like this, it's largely insulated from the garbage. It can't, it's not going to be, there's no telescam around it. There's no, you know, hypesters. There are certainly people on YouTube shilling Bitcoin ETFs as people have said that they were telling them it's going to go to the moon. That is a reality. But the truth is many of those people, they know what I know and what you should know, which is that these are going to go. They're going to go at a point where they got it wrong is the timing. They got the timing all wrong in your mind. You're thinking you were misled in a way that you were misled. Yes, that's true. I'm saying long-term where they're trying to encourage you to go might actually be appropriate, but you got to treat your, you got to train yourself to be patient for that and train yourself not to get set off simply because you see that it's going down. Going down is indicative of a discount. If you treat it as a discount, it means the sky's the limit. It means you're maximizing how much you invest in there. I know what you're thinking. You don't have a lot of money to blow at it. I 100% I support that. 
if you're very studious and diligent about what you spend on. If, however, I'm going to come at it and don't get mad at me. I'm just saying what I believe. If you're, if you smoke, I don't care if it's cigarettes or weed at this point or crack, whatever. If you smoke, if you drink, and I'm talking alcoholic beverages when I say this, if you smoke, if you drink, if you have Netflix, if you have ESPN Plus, if you have Disney, if you have Paramount, if you have AEW, whatever, if you have the Peacock, right? If you have something where there's a subscription of some kind, if you have cable, if you have something where there's a subscription of some kind that is a non-critical service, I challenge you to sit down and do some math. You're free to ignore me, but I, I'm, I'm putting you to the test here because I did this once and I think it would help people if you're willing to take the smoke. Sit down, put numbers to it all. Pull out Excel or Google Sheets if you're too cheap for office, that's fine. Pull out a list and just document how much you pay per month for all of the different things that you use, that you pay for. I'm talking smokes, I'm talking alcohol, I'm talking these subscription services, I'm talking fast food, eating out versus cooking at home. List out how much you spend. We're getting close to budget territory. I'm not talking about the budget. I just simply want you to point at what it is that you spend per month on each one of these. Then cross-reference that with how much you actually consume of each one of these things. So let's say Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime's greatest value, arguably, is the free shipping and to a lesser degree, video and to a lesser degree, music. How much of the music do you consume? How much of the video do you consume? How much of the video did you enjoy when you did consume it? For the shipping, how many packages do you get per month? And what would the shipping be if you didn't have Amazon Prime, given how frequent or infrequent that you do? And I'm not talking about Christmas. Exclude December, exclude November, because you got to be fair. Look at everything that you do. If you have services where you, like zone for the boxing, if you have services where you arguably just don't use the damn thing hardly at all, except for when there's key events. I question why you leave it on month over month. Do you know why? Because it's psychological because they condition you to give over that credit card and kind of forget about it. That's just paying month over month over month. And then it accumulates even when there's no value to you, when it's actually cheaper for you to subscribe in the months you use it, Turn it off when you don't use it, but that's more work for you. You'd have to think about doing it. You have to condition yourself to do it. But what ends up happening? You end up actually saving money. If you talk about fast food and eating out, and trust me, there is no greater expert in this craft than myself from my teenage years. Then, then here, I don't eat out anywhere near as much as I used to for a specific reason. Point is, once I started realizing, you know, I'm going to get a better breakfast if I cook it myself, arguably, arguably. I do that. The cost of it is fraction, pennies of what it would have been otherwise. That's why when I say I have my endeavor and I'm not in cryptocurrency to be made rich, it's because I don't really need to because I make enough money and I save enough money where it doesn't really matter. I don't, if something happens crypto, it's cool. And I'll talk about that in a second, but I put together a plan and I stripped away the non-essentials. I stripped away the stuff that didn't need to happen. I stripped away the stuff I didn't need to spend money on, which magically freed up money. For me to buy video games that I choose to buy, which is once in a, or twice a year, maybe event, I had the money already ready to go. It's already saved out. I actually go down with cash and I buy Steam gift cards to be able to do it and add it to my account. Da, 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 da. I don't give my freaking credit card or debit card or anything. I don't have a credit card, debit card. I don't give that to anything. I refuse. I don't do that for Nintendo store, PlayStation store, Steam. I don't. I refuse. I would rather just get the gift card. Add it to the account. Why? 
when you buy in cash, when you transact in cash, you'd be surprised how much less you spend. And it's because it purposely forces you to open up the damn wallet, count it out and realize I don't want to give too much. And I'm not giving it over to somebody that can just charge you month over month over month. And you lose track of it. This is not telling you to do anything. I'm, I'm asking you to think about it. When you think about all that and the money you could potentially save, you realize that cryptocurrency then discounts. You're looking for discounts because you may not be able to get as much savings as you might hope for. So you ideally would want the lowest price on cryptocurrency you can get. See how I connected the dots. That's why it's psychological because everything in society wants you to keep paying them, paying them, paying them, giving you the impression that you're broke and that you don't have any money. When the truth is you could cut a lot of that stuff and probably save maybe let's say a hundred, $200 a month. Well, think about it. If you have something like Matic or Phantom, that's a dollar per, and you were able to toss 50 bucks here or there, 50 bucks here or there, 50 bucks here or there, but its price goes down to rock bottom prices, you're going to get more and more and more. And you know, these are going to go up at some point where you're going to recoup what you put in and then let the rest of it ride and hopefully taking profits on the way. But it starts with the psychology of it all. The psychology of being thinking that you're broke, thinking you got nothing. You might have no money whatsoever. You have no job. You got laid off. That's a different situation than the situation where you are working, but maybe you don't make crazy amounts of money. However, you are subscribing to a bunch of stuff where you actually don't really see any value in it month over month. And you could strip some of that away and consider investing, not just in cryptocurrency, but as I said, I went into the ETFs because I believe separate from raw cryptocurrency, you should have a diverse portfolio. So I do have portfolios all over the place. I got portfolios in at least three different avenues, including real estate, because I'm just tossing money into different things. I had to free the money up. I had to identify where I didn't need to spend the money. I haven't had cable since, geez, 2009 on purpose because it there's no value to me. It's just garbage. Everything on TV is garbage. That helped. It certainly helped seeing that everything is crap. It helped me decouple from any dependency on it. No call to action at this point. It's something I want you to think about. This is why discounts in crypto are so valuable because you may not be able to free up significant amounts of money. So you should want low prices in cryptocurrency or the opportunity goes up. I think where people possibly go wrong is they start looking at the garbage out there and become gamblers. When I say look for the discounts, I'm referring to the ones you know are gonna go up, not the ones you hope will. I'm talking about the core coins. They can never steal you wrong. Bitcoin is going to go up, folks. And no, you shouldn't expect to become a millionaire off of it. That's also a psychological trap because the vast majority of them aren't going to do that. And I know you read a news article that tells you about this 20-year-old kid over here who tossed $100, became a millionaire. Do, do, do. They're the outlier exception. It's the outlier exception. In most cases, to make a million bucks, you're going to need to invest more than you're willing to or more than you should. And I would never advocate you do so. What you choose to do with your money is what you choose to do with your money. I am saying, I think there's an opportunity to educate people about how easy it can be to identify opportunities and treat it like an investment, like any other investment. But it starts with looking at what you spend on and then identifying what your gap is. How much do you have to flex with? And if it's a lower number, you should ideally be looking for discounts and welcoming them instead of being afraid of them or nervous about them. That's at least how I personally feel about that situation. I want to follow on on a couple of topics I talked about on a previous episode, and then I'll wrap up. This won't take too long. 
but I think these are definitely important. The IRS very recently was under criticism about the whole $10,000 where it was, you know, if you make at least $10,000, you got to report all this business. They're starting to add, and they said, this hasn't started yet. It has to be final. It's not, don't, don't worry about it. It's not started yet, but they're prepping for it because they started asking questions on forms to about their digital assets. And remember, they, they'll usually ask you, do you own crypto? Did you buy or sell crypto? Da -da. And then they ask you to fill out this separate form to be able to do this. There's a new question that's been asked on this, and that's effective as of a year ago. So I want to talk about the question and my interpretation of what it is, because you're going to be required to answer this question. But basically, the question is, quote, at any time during 2023, did you A, receive as a reward, award, or payment for property or services, or B, sell, exchange, or otherwise dispose of a digital asset or a financial interest in a digital asset? Stop. Now, obviously, digital asset is pretty broad of a term on purpose. A digital asset includes convertible currencies, it includes cryptocurrency, it includes stable coins, it includes NFTs. But the question itself, I want to make sure you understand the nature of the question and why it's a very dangerous question. You must answer yes or no. It's a required question on what it is. But when they say sell exchange, the keyword exchange, exchange is very dangerous to have in this question because essentially you could have something where you didn't, you didn't actively do something, but something was done on your behalf that refers to an exchange. Well, think about it. Let's say, I'll give you a wild-eyed example. Let's say that there was a V2 of a token. Essentially, that's an exchange because something was exchanged, A for B. That, well, look at how many V2s there were that, that took place. Obviously, that's, that's considered an exchange. Now, here's where it gets kind of cloudy, and I don't know how certain of these people are going to answer this, but I'll take Fidelity as a great example. Fidelity offers the ability to purchase cryptocurrency. You don't hold it. It's, it's held in kind of a trust on your behalf. So there, it's credited to you, but you don't own it. Essentially, it's a, a dollar amount that doesn't really mean anything. It's kind of like a, kind of like an ETF of just one, where it's just your assets. If you think of it that way, well, in that case, you're not, you don't qualify an A because you didn't receive it. Potentially, something could have been bought for you. Let's say your employer purchases cryptocurrency as some sort of a bonus or reward or something. Well, that means you need to answer yes. But then B, sell, exchange, or otherwise dispose of a digital asset. In Fidelity, if you transact that business, again, you don't ever at any point own that cryptocurrency. It's not really yours. They tell you it's not really yours. You're basically an interest. You have an interest in it. Well, does that qualify? Technically, it doesn't. So that could indicate a safe haven away from this question. But my guess is most people are going to answer no on this business because there, as it says, you can answer no if you didn't or if you just held it. But the only way you'd be able to hold it is to be able to do an exchange, right? Because you'd have to have done an exchange to even get asset to it in the first place. So if you bought in to some crypto, let's say USDT, if you bought in straight up the jump, that's an exchange because you had to go through an exchange to get it. And if it was gifted to you, you still have to answer yes. My guess is most people are going to answer no because they don't want the smoke and they don't want to be taxed. And I understand that, you know, but this is what I'm saying. In the big picture of what this is doing, it's a very scary question, and I don't want people to be nervous about it, but they're coming for you. They're coming for you inward, you know. So that's what's out there there. 
I want to give an update real fast about the mail. So we had an email service. This this update's not around my email service, but it connects to why I have turned it, why I've left it off for the moment. So we had an email service. I found out that the email service, there was a billing related something, and it wasn't really doing the email the way that I wanted. So it terminated on its own. I had talked to them. I was going to get back on. I realized that it wasn't really cost effective. And the way it was doing is it wasn't exactly the way I wanted it. I wanted a much more rich experience on the email side. And there may be people listening to the show that were depending on the emails. And I apologize. It's been off. But the reason it's been off is I identified a new service called Mailer Light. Mailer Light is a, a broadcast email service and you work with them to set up these. Da, 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 da. And I screened them. Didn't have any concerns up front. I purchased the service for a period of time and I was going to work to get it set up. I happened to get distracted somewhere else and didn't focus on it, but I was going to get it wrapped up for the end of the month. And then I saw this update come out around Miller Lite where a hacker was able to impersonate cryptocurrency companies and drain $600,000 with phishing emails. So this is a vulnerability in the Miller Lite platform where apparently this organization was able to mimic these firms sending emails and this is scary because you're like, you're sending emails that actually look 100% legitimate. It's just that they link to a drainer site. So let's say you were, and this was not me, but let's say I were sending you an email on a regular basis. You got used to it. And then all of a sudden, MailerLite gets breached. They get access to my account. So they have my template for the email and they swap the link. Well, you're used to getting my email. So if you click on one of those, it could drain your wallet. Well, that's very scary because you've, built a trust relationship with the person sending you an email that this seeing this just to explain is the reason I didn't turn it back on yet. Because when I saw that this was even possible, I didn't want to put any of my listeners at risk and it connects to my older provider because they didn't have any protection against what ultimately was breached here. It just happens that the old provider was not as well known like Miller Lite is. Miller Lite is a very well known one widely used. So they were largely protected against this stuff. So what I'm saying is I still plan to have the email notifications and new episodes come out as soon as I can identify safely that I can do so. I'm not going to put anybody at risk. What I would ask is if you'd like updates, you can subscribe to on CryptoTalkRadio.net to add it to your podcast application of choice. You can join us on X slash Twitter, follow at CTR Crypto Radio there. Or just go to CryptoTalkRadio.net slash Twitter. It'll take you there. Or you can join us in our Discord, CryptoTalkRadio.net slash Discord. Join us at our Facebook, CryptoTalkRadio.net slash Facebook. Any of those platforms, and you can follow along. All the, Two of the three of them will give you podcast updates, and you can set up notification alerts when we post. Discord will be setting up an, a, a system where you'll be able to get alerts for new podcast episodes. The fastest way to do it, though, is to add the podcast to your favorite application, whatever that is. We're on every single platform that's available, including Pandora, uh, Spotify, iTunes, you name it. We're probably on it at some level. And if we're not, let me know and I'll get that resolved. But for those that do depend on the emails, again, I want to apologize. This is for me, keeping you safe was more important than just rushing to something. I'm one of those because I am, I work technology for a living. I'm one of those that's not going to put my listeners in any risk. And I know there's a lot of people that do depend on the emails and I, I do want to get that back on for you when it's safe to do so. In closing, there's a lot happening with the price movement of cryptocurrency and a lot of uncertainty, but there's also a lot of sketchy business out there. There's a lot of 
financial issues. And I wanted to share something from on the economy side, general economy side. It turns out, and this is kind of obvious, but it turns out there's a general overall sentiment, negative sentiment on the economy, at least in the United States. I can't speak otherwise, but I'm sure, I'm sure it's the same everywhere else. I want to read a snippet of something that was said that I, I thought was telling of the way it is. Quote, the vibes are off is a phrase that doesn't usually appear in rigorous economic analysis, but it's cropped up again and again in serious discussions about America over the past year. From an array of hard data, there's reason to think that people ought to be quite satisfied about the state of the economy. Inflation slowed sharply. Uh, oil prices are down. Jobs are plentiful. That's a lie. Fine. Uh, incomes are rising. That's eh, it's kind of iffy. And the stock market is strong. But survey after survey suggests that Americans are, in fact, quite unhappy. They think that the economy is in bad shape and that President Joe Biden is mismanaging it. What gives? Evidence of gloom is everywhere. The figure watched most closely by economists for an idea of what people are feeling is a consumer sentiment index from the University of Michigan. For the past two years, it's bounced around at levels last seen during the global financial crisis of 2007 and 2009. Even with an improvement in December, it's still 30% below its recent peak on the eve of the COVID-19 crisis in early 2020. Many other surveys are equally downcast. Every week since 2009, the Economist YouGov poll has asked some 1,500 Americans, which is a low sample, admittedly, to assess the economy. Nearly half now think it's getting worse, up from about one-third in the decade before COVID. Questions focused on Mr. Biden's record yield even less enthusiasm. Two-thirds of respondents to a Gallup poll in November disapproved of his handling of the economy. And all this despite America outgrowing its large developed peers over the past few years. The fact that so many Americans are so dejected about such a strong economy has spawned a cottage industry of theories. The first batch argues that they have every right to feel glum. Some of the figures which mattered most to their wallets are just not that rosy. Inflation has eroded their wallets. Controlling for consumer prices common measure of inflation, average earnings for private sector workers are basically stuck at the same level as in February 2020, right before COVID stuck. Stop. So I wanted to share that because it talked about three things that are important as takeaways as I wrap up. Number one, I, and again, I do emphatically disagree that the job market is improving. That's crap. Because we just heard, we just heard with hiring pr practices and principles in particular, Many companies only look within their local state to determine what they're going to offer somebody. The problem is that some of the quality talent is not in the state that you're in. If they were, you wouldn't be trying to hire, right? So since they're in other places, what they should be doing is pricing on a nationwide scale. And that is dangerous to them because that means they would have to pay crap tons more than they currently do if it's a job where you're poaching from somewhere else. If you're poaching somebody from New York that person in New York is going to expect more money than somebody who's coming to a business in Wyoming, simply because Wyoming's cost of living is significantly lower than it is in New York. I'd say the same thing about Boston. Boston is crazy expensive. People out there, there's quality in terms of talent, skill. There's quality. To poach those people, you need to be equivalent in what they would make out there. What happens is that the business only looks at their own stake. So if it's a low cost of living, but the job, the work, requires a level of skill that's expensive. A lot of workers have depressed salaries. They have accepted crap pay 
And as they accept crap pay, it brings it down for everybody, which brings down the average, which tells other companies it's okay to offer low salaries and it's a vicious cycle. So skilled people like myself, but others, people who have talent in a craft that they know is expensive. And when I say expensive, I'm talking about the challenge to learn it, challenge to master it, challenge to retain it. And that's the hardest one. As well as challenge to fill those roles for a long period of time. It's expensive. What we should be able to do is command what it is that we want to get paid for the level of the work. I have a rate. My rate is my rate. We're at the point now I get lowball offers all the time and I tell them this is my rate and eventually they'll cow and say, okay, fine, we'll pay you what you want because they're so desperate to fill my niche, which is very hard to fill with the right talent. It's easy to find somebody who can say they do it, but somebody who can do it at my level, it's not close. I've got 23 years in my business. There's very less of me left, arguably, but the tool itself is still around. It's still thriving. It's still strong and it's well-regarded in the industries when people stumble across it. It's absorbed its competition. So it's becoming one of those go-tos, which has increased my value that I present. But I don't let companies try to low ball saying, well, normally we pay a .NET developer, let's say, you know, $90,000 for this job. So that's all we're going to pay you. Screw you. I'm not .NET. .NET is easy to fill. Mine is not. So you're going to pay me my rate, my rate, which is significantly higher than 90 grand. They balk at it because they don't understand that you can't price different types of employees the exact same way simply because you're all working in IT. So when I see, no, job market is good, job market is not good. Job market is in a terrible spot compared to where it should be. And it is true, though, it mirrors back to pre-COVID because pre-COVID, everything was way better than the way it is now. I had my first endeavor. I took a slight cut on the rate because it was my first I had to get some experience. So it was my first one working on my own business experience. So I got that one signed. Then I moved to Nevada to be closer driving distance to them. And that was saved me on the plane costs or I was taking a train, saved me on hotel costs. It saved me on a lot of expenses. Then I signed my second endeavor. And that was in that March. And that was right when COVID was around. So then I get screwed because the second endeavor, they had to yank all the budgets. So then I'm down to the one, the one starts acting stupid well, we want you to take unconscious bias training and all this. And I'm like, dude, you wouldn't do this to your plumber. You wouldn't do this to your window washer. That's what I am. I'm a contractor. I work for myself. I'm not doing this crap. And I started finding them and they still wouldn't back down. So then I had to get rid of them. But meanwhile, I have to drum up new business. Well, with COVID, a lot of businesses stopped paying. They stopped you know, paying employees. They stopped paying contract budget. They were crunching money because they were losing money. The government, this is during the Trump administration, was making money available to businesses and it was reasonably easy to get. So I had money that was given, we're talking grants from different state, city, et cetera. And that helped a little bit. There was a couple of loans that helped a little bit. I hired a couple of kids to try to do some marketing and, you know, help them get some experience because it's hard, right? So I was trying to do something good. Didn't work because the businesses were still saying, believe it or not, this is again, in the middle of COVID when we have what's, Herald is a pandemic by the government where they're trying to force masks and they're telling people don't travel if you don't have to work from home. If you can absolutely do it, nothing of what I do requires me to be in an office. It's all software work. So I'm saying, look, I can work what you want. And I got tons of them. I had one offer arguably three times my normal rate, but they were saying, yep, you're going to need to come in the office. You got to move here. And I'm like, no, screw you, bro. You're, you're doing everything against what the government says. 
And it was Boston. I'm like, no, screw you. That is no, no. Cause even at three times my rate, it's still not enough to work Boston. So all I'm saying together, this, when we talk mood and sentiment, I've been talking about this on casual talk radio for a long time. We're not at a point where we have recovered. It may feel like it. It's all an illusion. We're still in a depressed state. That is contributing a lot to what we're seeing in the price movement on cryptocurrency, Bitcoin ETFs, et cetera. Because I believe that we still have this, let's say, nervousness around putting too much money out there without really knowing what the future holds. I don't think it's cryptocurrency specifically. I think it's a general economy sentiment. And I don't know if anybody saw this. I saw the news about Hertz rent a car. They're going away from electric vehicles because it's just too damn expensive. They're going back to gas vehicles. I think it's a mistake. I think they should go hybrid. Regardless, they're going away from EVs because they're too expensive. They're realizing it's too damn expensive. Tons of EVs are having major recalls. The point, my whole point, what we're seeing in cryptocurrency pricing, I believe is not an isolated situation. I don't think it's only about cryptocurrency. I think it's a larger shift, a larger mental shift away from comfort, throwing money at things. There's less of that. People don't want to throw money at things without constant assurance, constant you know, reassurance, I'll say, that everything's going to be all right. So influencers will tell you everything's going to be all right. I can say, I think long-term it's going to be fine. Bottom line, it doesn't really matter. You have to decide whether you're okay putting money out there, realizing the risk ratio is significantly higher, arguably higher than a casino at this point. And some people are cool gambling like that. Some people are not. It's okay if you're not. I don't want you to feel like you have to jump in because others are telling you to do it. I want you to feel comfortable in what you do decide to do because it's your money. Nobody can tell you what to do with it. But big picture, Bitcoin's going to go somewhere. Cryptocurrency is going to go somewhere. Whether or not we get enough money on the retail side to take advantage of it, that's what we don't really know. The rich people, they're going to get in. They're going to go on it. They're going to keep going on it. I'll talk a little bit more on Thursday's episode about uh, Donald Trump and his comments about CBDCs. Because I think it ties to this conversation and the results or potential results of the 2024 election are going to tell us a lot with some of that comfort, whether we get any sort of rush, because I did notice some things there. I'm going to save that for the next episode because it's a lengthy conversation to have that I'm not going to be boring you with here today. 